Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 10. And we're going to read verses 8 through 12. And we spent some time on verse 8 last week, and we'd like to go over it again because, you know, the more we look, the more we find. Sometimes the Lord opens up, and uh, I just found some things that were a real blessing, and I want to share those with you. So let's read verses 8 through 12 of Zechariah chapter 10. I will hiss for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased. I will sow them among the people. That's a planting word. I will sow them among the people, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children and turn again. And I'll bring them again also out of the land of Egypt and gather them out of Assyria. And I'll bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon. And the place shall not be found for them. And he shall pass through the sea of affliction and shall smite the waves in the sea. And all the deeps of the water river shall dry up. And the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. I want to remind myself, as well as you, that this was originally written as as a poem. Now their poetry and our poetry may be different, but it was written in verse. And it's metaphorical language, it's pictorial language that he is using here, and we do not want to interpret it literally, but we want to see if we can find some things that speak to us from a spiritual standpoint. There in verse 8, last time we looked at it uh, a little bit, and we noticed that there is the word hiss that is used there, and it's found a number of places in the scriptures, and this word has been translated in different translations, I will signal for them, I will whistle for them, I will blow for them, I will cause my people to come to me. That's what it means when he hisses. He will cause his people to come to him. He will call, they will come. He, his people will hear his voice and they will come. My sheep hear my voice and they come. I will call or cry for them. And the allusion to this is the cry of a shepherd. A shepherd's voice or a shepherd sometimes in this period of time used a, a, a pipe or a whistle to call. And uh, it saved the voices. <laughs> but that's what it means to hiss, is to call. And this was a, a, was a sound that the sheep, the shepherd had trained his sheep to hear this voice, this pipe, this whistle. And they came and gathered around him. So I will hiss for my people. It means they are going to come. It denotes the call of the gospel, which is the voice of Christ. We hear the voice of Christ in the gospel. It's such good news, too, that this is a soft and it's a sweet and it's melodious. You know, the law has nothing but sharpness in it. But the gospel has nothing but sweetness about it. It has nothing but melodiousness about it. It is the sound of love and grace and mercy. It is of peace and pardon and life and salvation. There's no greater words to be heard than to, be, to hear the word pardon when we find ourselves completely guilty and we, we understand that God is just in finding us not only guilty but 
punishing us for that guilt. And then to find out in the gospel, the Lord has already been punished for that. He's already taken us. So we, we are pardoned. We're set free. We're at peace. When he says, my peace I give you, it's as a serious peace that he gives us. We're settled. We're not, we're not looking for other things. We're not looking for another pasture. So I have redeemed them. The Redeemer deliver, uh, declares this. And I have purchased by paying the debt. I have redeemed them. Now, I've mentioned this, and I think one of the places that we truly understand this, if you've ever had to use a pawn shop, I used to work in one. And people would come in and hawk something that belonged to them. And they were given a certain amount of time to come back and pick that up. And they would come in, and it was called redemption. Here's the redemption price, and here is what you're going to redeem, and you're the redeemer. And they'd come back in and pay the price, plus interest, and they could take it home. They redeemed it out of the pawn shop. Well, the Lord redeemed his people, paid for them completely with full interest. In fact, he says, double, I paid for you. And that's, that's an illusion. Anything that could possibly be thought of has been taken care of. Sins past, present, and future. He paid for all our sin. So he is the one, as it tells us there in verse 8, I, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased, and I am going to have them grow. What a wonderful blessing it is. Now, sovereignly, he gives to everyone as he sees fit, but everyone is going to have some growth given to them by the Lord. They're going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if we look here in verse 9, it says, I will sow them. I will sow them. Why does God have people in all parts of the world that he has saved? Because he put them there on purpose. You know, I will sow them among the people. It may seem that we scattered ourselves indiscriminately. Sometimes we went after a job. Sometimes we went to be with family. Sometimes we did this, sometimes we did that, and we just sometimes looks like it's indiscriminate. You look at some of the people that come through uh, there where the Statue of Liberty is, Ellis Island, that came through there. They're trying to escape things, or they're trying to get away from things, or they're trying to have a better life, and they come to the United States, and they settle in places, and lo and behold, by the grace of God, some of them got to hear something they would have never heard in their land. And God, God does it on purpose. We are where we are, every step that we've ever had in our life, where we were born, where we grew up, where we moved to, has always been on purpose by an almighty God. He doesn't waste our time, and surely he does not waste his time. He is on purpose. He has order in it. We may think we're moving indiscriminately, but he has order in it. Turn with me to a wonderful passage of Scripture over in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. We find here, beginning with verse 1 of this 32nd chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Old Testament declaring New Testament truth. If we look at the Old Testament with New Testament eyes, what a glorious thing. What a glorious passage of Scripture. And God 
allows us to look over all of that legalism and see the glory of Christ in, in the Old Testament. Here, well, in Luke, or excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 32, beginning with verse 1, he says, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine, my teaching shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. There's no God that fulfills all of those things. He is the only God that fulfills all of those things. He is the rock. And it says, they have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are perverse and crooked generation. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people, and unwise? It is not he, thy father, that hath bought thee. Hath he not made thee and established thee? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. When the Most High divideth the nations... <coughs> their inheritance, when he scattered the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel, for the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, in a waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Did you notice verse 8 there? We have almost the same verse over in the book of Acts. We're going to read that in just a moment. But he, when he separated the sons of Adam, now it's the Lord that separated the nations. It's the Lord that moved the peoples through all the known world and throughout the world that we didn't even know about for a long time. He put people where he wanted them. He says, I will sow them. You know, we sow indiscriminate. <laughs> even in the, in the uh, uh, parable of the sower, the sower went forth to sow. And you know, we think that we're wasting time by having it scattered among the, the thistles and the rocks and where the birds can get it. Well, God has his purpose even in that. But he, when he sowed his people, he put them exactly where he wanted them and he will have them hear the gospel exactly when he wants them to hear it. And he will bring his people out of those lands just like he tells us there in the book of Zechariah chapter 10 where we've been reading. It says here... Uh, he separated the sons of Adam. He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. He set their bounds. He put them where he wanted them. He sowed them. Like him reaching down in a, in a, in a uh, sack of seed, only their people, and he scattered them out, and they fell exactly where he wanted each of them to fall. They're born where he wants them to be born. They live where he wants them to live, and we die where he wants us to die. All right, let's look at this same theme in another place, in the book of Job, Job chapter 14, and then we'll go to the book of Acts chapter 17. In the book of Job chapter 14, we have Job. I had a lot of conversation with somebody today about the devil. And I just told him, the devil is God's devil. And Job illustrates the point. 
He couldn't do anything without permission. He is not omniscient, he's not omnipresent, and he's not omnipotent. He can't get into your mind. It's impossible. There's only one that can. All right. Job chapter 14. Job chapter 14. Verse 1. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Amen. It, it's just our depravity. We, we just it can't do anything else. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such a one and bringest me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? What a statement. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? The answer, not one. Seeing his days are determined, the number of months are with thee, and thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. What a statement we have here. In the, he's appointed the bounds and they can, we cannot pass. We think we're doing it. We think we are moving. We think we're doing it. But there's already been a prescription made and a purpose made by God to put us in the right place. It was a wonderful thing to discover that I was in the right place to hear the gospel. There were times I didn't want to be in that place, but it was on purpose that I was there. All right, travel with me over to the book of Acts chapter 17. And this is up again. Paul is visiting in Athens. He's visiting that great temple, and he's speaking at Mars Hill. In the book of Acts chapter 17, verse 22. I'm about ready to get some pictures printed of our trip, and I want to show you where Mars Hill is. It was interesting to see just a knob of a rock just below the Acropolis there, a knob of a rock called Mars Hill where judgment was taken care of. Well, here in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 22. Chapter Acts 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too religious, superstitious. For as I passed by and behold your devotions, I found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. What a wonderful statement the Apostle Paul is sharing with the Athenians. <clears throat> he has made heaven and earth. And all that dwell in, and he dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needeth anything. God doesn't need anything, and he doesn't need anybody. But he is pleased to have the church cry out, Worthy is the Lamb. He is pleased. Seeing he liveth to all, all, giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath appointed the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So as he declares to us over in the book of Zechariah chapter 10, he said, I've sown you. The, the good, the one who sows the real seed knows where the seed is and needs to fall. 
He knows where his sheep are. He knows where they are. They're not unknown to him. He's not discovering something when they finally raise their hand. He knows where they are. Let's go back over there to Zechariah chapter 10 again. Zechariah chapter 10. He says, I will sow them among the people. He sowed national Israel among the people. He sowed his, his spiritual Israel among the people. That's where he finds us. And among every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. People that can't understand people over here. But they understand the gospel when it's revealed to them. It says, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children and turn again. Now, the Lord in his great mercy, we, we're scattered out there, and it just reminds me of, of the fall of Adam, that he went into a desperate situation, he went into desperate darkness, he went into desperate hatred for God, he, went, he just went to the, the, the most worst possible position anybody could ever be in, and passes that on to us, and yet in all of that, God knows his sheep, even in their darkness. He knows where they are. He sowed them where he puts them, and he's planted them where he, he intends to have the gospel go find them. And then it says here in verse 10, I will bring them again. What a promise. I sowed them, I will bring them. I'm going to bring them, and it says, I will bring them also out of the land of Egypt and gather them out of Assyria. Now, if you read much in the Bible about Egypt or Assyria, you find that neither one of those places have a whole lot going for them. They're all, both of them are used as a symbol, a type and a shadow, a desperate place, sinful place, our very, very nature. It represents that. And none of them are good. We're going to find that same term in verse 11 there. It says, uh, the latter last phrase it says, and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. So God's going to deal with those places that we've been scattered. And it's just like I'll bring them out of the worst possible place that they could ever find themselves. That's what the Apostle Paul said, chiefest of sinners. I'm in the worst possible place by nature. Chiefest of sinners. There's not a good thing in me. There's not a good thing about me. And yet God has said, he sowed me, and he's going to find me and bring me out of that place. He's going to bring me out of Egypt, just like he did with the children of Israel. He brought them out with a high hand, it says. He took them out of that place. They were in prison, they were in slavery, but he took them out and did not leave one of them there. And not even a dog barked when they left. And they left exactly the right day. To the day, it says. They were there 400 years to the day. Well, thank God that in his good purpose, to the very day, when it pleased God, he brings us out of Egypt and Assyria. He brings us out of that place. I will bring them out. We would have just been as satisfied as we could be as that young man who left his father, took all of that he owned, took his inheritance, went down to a far country, gathered himself with a guy that, after he'd spent everything, to a guy that raised swine and fed them and then eat the swine food. You know he'd have still been doing that if God hadn't got involved with him? If God hadn't got, given him a mind to see where he was? He was pleased with that. And if, we, if God is pleased to leave us in Egypt or Assyria, we'll be just as happy as clams there. We may think we're in the worst place possible, but it's okay. 
I'm home and I got my family around here and I built a house down here. And I got a few garden vegetables out there in the back. Well, that's what we find. Look, turn with me, if you would, to Luke 15. Luke 15, verse 15. We remember this son, the lost son. Um, sometimes we call him the prodigal son, but he's really the lost son. He's just, he's just lost. There's a lost coin here in this passage, lost sheep here in this passage. Here's the lost son. Luke 15, 15, it tells us there, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and would fain have filled his belly with the hus that the swine did eat. No man gave unto him. And then when he came to himself, we're so thankful that the Holy Spirit deals with us, quickens us, brings us. He went home then. Well, we find the same thing. Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, there's a place called Lodibar. I don't find any word here that uh, this uh, grandson of Saul had any interest to go see David. It's the other way around. First, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We have David inquiring about Mephibosheth. David's inquiring about him. Is there any left of the household of Saul, of the household of his friend? In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame in his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? Now, our king knows where we are, because he sowed us there. David is showing interest to show that God has an interest in his people. Now, this guy lived in Lodibar. House. This is not a good place to live, but you know what? I don't have a record one that he was looking to leave. He's home. And in fact, when it came time for him to leave, he was fetched. He was brought out. David got involved with him. Now, he couldn't walk. We know that. He was dropped when he was a young boy. But it says here that he was in Lodibar. He said, uh, uh, verse 4, The king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said, The king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. How gracious is our God to bring us out of Egypt and Assyria, out of Lodibar in the pig pen, where we are by nature, and we can't get out of there. We can't leave. We don't have a passport. Brother Wayne was sharing with me that after he preached the message some time ago, just recently, uh, one of the men of the church came up and says, we just don't have anything to offer at the table, do we? Exactly right. We don't have a thing to offer at the table. And he's brought to the king's house to enjoy the food of the king. What a blessing. So, I will bring them. I will bring them out of Lodibar. I will bring them out of the pig pen. I'll bring them out of Assyria. I'll bring them out of Egypt. I'll bring them out of the worst place possible. We won't find many positive words 
in the scriptures either about the place of of uh, of Assyria or about Egypt. There is, but he will bring us out, and it tells us there in Zechariah where he brings us to. That's just as important as being brought out in the book of Zechariah, chapter ten. He brings us out to a place. Zechariah chapter 10. Look, look here. Where, where does he bring us? I'll bring them into. Chapter 10 verse 10. I'll bring them again out of the land of Egypt and gather out them out of Assyria. I'll bring them out of the, the, the worst possible places. The, the most oppressive places. Sin is oppressive. Death is oppressive. I'll bring them out. I'll gather them. I will bring them into the land of Gilead, and Lebanon, the place shall not be found for them. Now it's interesting to read about these places of Gilead and Lebanon. I thought they were more uh, like countries, but the definition of their name has something greatly significant about why he would bring us to that point. Now, there's two times that Gilead is mentioned in the book of Genesis that is very important to us. So we're going to go back over there to Genesis chapter 31. We have a discussion between Laban and his son-in-law. His son-in-law said, you've changed my, uh, my wages ten times. And I really wasn't interested in the wife you gave me to begin with, but I didn't give her back to you. I took the other wife too. And here we have this discussion in Genesis chapter 31 and verse 38. Now they're going to make a covenant. Laban and his son-in-law are going to make a covenant. It's an agreement between the two of them. Now we're going to see here that the Lord brings us to a place of a covenant of grace. We're not here by a covenant of works. We're here by a covenant of grace. There was an agreement by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on the behalf of the church on the behalf of those sown into a far country, those that are brought out from those places, uh, we call them as pictorial, Egypt and Assyria, place of great servitude, great, uh, well, they're just awful places. And he brings us to Gilead and to Lebanon. Now, here in the book of Genesis, chapter 31, Genesis 31 and verse 38, we have this word Gilead. The original word Gilead is used here, and this is what it means. One, Laban uses the term that is for, um, oh, what did I it was their language, his language, um, Aramaic, and then the other one is Hebrew. But here, let's look here. Genesis 31, verse 38. It says here, This the this twenty years have I been with thee, thy ewes and thy she goats have not cast their young, and the rams of the flock have not eaten. That which was torn of beast I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it, and my hand hand did thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day of the drought con consumed me, the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I have served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, had been 
with me, surely thou hast sent me away empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands, and rebuked thee yesternight. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou see is mine, and will what came I can I do this day unto thee, my daughters, or unto thee, their children, which they have born. Now therefore, come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let us be a witness between me and thee. Now there's a covenant going to be made here, but this covenant is not near as important as the covenant of grace. But when God calls us out of Egypt or Assyria and brings us to Gilead, He's bringing us to covenant mercies. He's bringing us to the covenant of grace. And it goes on to tell us here, Now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set up a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it that word. But Jacob called it Gilead, a place of a covenant. The Lord brings us to Gilead. He brings us to the covenant of grace. He brings us to the blessings of the covenant of grace. He doesn't bring us to a covenant of works. He brings us to a covenant of grace. And it's His grace, all His grace. He would bring us out of Egypt and Assyria and bring us to Gilead, to a place of covenant. Well, this goes on to tell us, I think it's in verse 48, and Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee. This day, therefore, was the name of it called Gilead. What a blessing we have. This name where God is going to bring his people to is a name which means an agreement, a covenant, a heap of stones here to mark the place where this covenant agreement was. And now we have the Lord bringing us to that place. And then it says he brings us to Lebanon. Now this word is used twice, once in the Psalms and once in Isaiah, and I'd like to read both of those because it's very important. Where Lebanon, what it means, it means whiteness due to the snow that was generally in the mountains. But this word is used in Psalm 51. Would you turn with me to Psalm 51? On our, for our benefit, this Psalm 51 is a whole lot. It is more than just snow in the mountains. It is. What does it say here in Psalm 51 and verse 7? Psalm 51 and verse 7. He brings us to Lebanon. He bring, brings us to a place of whiteness. Well, it's quite apparent here what he had in mind when he said he'd do that. I'm going to bring you to a place of the covenant of grace. I'm not leaving you over there in Egypt or Assyria. I'm bringing you out. But where I'm bringing you is a very important place. It's the benefits of the covenant of grace, the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the word of God. I'm bringing you to that place. And then here in Psalm 51 and verse 7, it says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. How clean is the Lord's cleaning? It's Lebanon clean whiteness there is no after (laughs) it's taken away it's washed away and this word is again used in isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 
Come now, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. So he has sown us out into the world. He has promised to bring all of his sheep out of that, out of what he called Egypt and Assyria. Very harsh places. Sin is harsh. Judgment is harsh. The law is harsh. He brings us out of that, but he brings us to an agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. A promise. And then we find the results of coming. He said, I'll clean you up. In in, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, let me get over there. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. We have this recorded. He says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That word is again, Lebanon. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. White, clean, pure. I'll wash away your sin. I'll pay your sin debt. I'll take care of it. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. So when He brings us out of those places, He doesn't leave us like we were. We're brought to a covenant of grace. And we're brought clean. He's cleaned us. He's washed us in His own blood. He's paid completely for all our sin. Now, He left us in this state that we're in, but all the sin has been paid for. There is no charge against the elect of God. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one, for it is God that justifieth. Well, we shall want for nothing. There be no ones. And then verse 11, nothing will destroy the pride of Assyria. Going back to Zechariah chapter 10, verse 11. Zechariah chapter 10. There in verse 11, it says this. And he shall pass through the sea of affliction and shall smite the ways in the sea and all the deep deeps of the river shall dry up and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. Nothing will destroy the pride of Assyria and the scepter of Egypt like God's salvation. We are at home in that with self-righteous works, pretending we're making our way out, and God brings us out and settles us into the covenant of grace and full payment for our sin, And he said, I will destroy the pride of Assyria. I will destroy the pride. You know, he brings this up. Keep your finger for here just a moment. Turn with me over to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. He brings this subject up about having pride. When he saves his people, he destroys that. In 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 29, 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 29 This whole thing that he has to say about choosing somebody, he doesn't choose these because they're smart or intelligent, but he chooses them because they're nothing. He says, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The pride of Assyria, I will smash it. And then he says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who is of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What? That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So the pride of Assyria, he's going to take care of. All that we had down in that former place that we lived, 
and it might be right here where we're living. But he's taken us out of Assyria and Egypt and settled us in Lebanon and in uh, Gilead. <laughs> settled us there and taken and smashed all of that. We no longer depend on anything else but the blood and righteousness of Christ. He is all our salvation. He is all our hope. He's taken away all that pride that we had, all the pride of Assyria. And he's taken away the scepter of Egypt. You know, there's a number of places in the New Testament that tells us death reigned. Death reigned. Death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. And it tells us in the book of uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Just back up a little bit there to Romans chapter 5. In our natural state, if the Lord had not intervened by His covenant of grace that He had purpose before the foundation of the world, death would have reigned and would have been that would have completed the situation. The dead that die without Christ suffer the second this is the second death it says well here in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 14 the scripture says nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression who is the figure of him that was to come and then it tells us in verse 17 for if one man's obedience for if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more than which received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What's he going to do with the scepter of Egypt, the reigning of death? Put it aside. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? What a blessing it is that when God saves His people, brings them out of the place, He actually sowed them there. He knows where they are. He put them there on purpose. They shall not move. He brings them out, settles them down in Gilead and in Lebanon. He takes care of them by His covenant of grace, washes them and makes them as white as snow. And He says, besides that, I'll take care of all the pride and I'll take care of death. I'll put it away. It shall no longer hang over you. Now we're going to face death physically. But that's just minor compared to what we should have got. Spiritual death for eternity. So he takes care of all of that. What a blessing. That uh, he should break Assyria. He should put Assyria down. Isaiah prophesies about this. Physically, God took care of Assyria. Pictorially, spiritually, he took care of Assyria for every one of his sheep. They no longer will rule and reign over him. And then it tells us in that last verse of Zechariah chapter 10. And I will strengthen them. Zechariah chapter 10 verse 12. I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk. What did he tell the man that was, he just couldn't get down in that pond would you like to walk? Well, nobody's there to carry me. And then he says, take up your bed and walk. Now he had to answer some questions before the Sanhedrin court, and he didn't even know how it happened. 
until the Lord met him later. But when the God of heaven strengthens us, we shall walk for his glory. A couple of, one verse uh, passage found in uh, Micah chapter 4, and with this we'll close. Book of Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. But in the last days, and here we are, gospel days, it shall come to pass. Did you know what? Abel had gospel days. In the last days. That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow into it. Speaking of the church, coming out of the places where they've been, Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of God of Jacob. When did that young man go? Back to dad? When the Lord gave him a mind to go. And he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. He will strengthen us and we shall walk. Walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is spiritual. God takes away that fight out of us, our anger towards God. And then he says, They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. For all people will walk everyone in the name of his God. And we we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. You know, you notice that people that are walking in religion, they're walking after their God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord, Jehovah our God forever. In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out and her that hath afflicted. Look who the Lord's going to gather together. The maimed, the halt, the, blame, the blind. And I will make her that halteth a remnant and her that cast off, far off, a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forevermore. I will call you out of Egypt and Assyria I will settle you in Gilead and Lebanon, and here's what I'll do for you when you're there. I will have spoken, you shall walk in my counsel, you shall walk with me, and I will reign over you forever and ever and ever and ever. What a blessing the Lord has for us. We shall take up our bed and walk, crippled in feet, but we shall walk. Well, Lord willing, next time we'll look at chapter 11 of the book of Zechariah and see if we can find some more there that shares with all the rich blessings of grace, God calling his people out of a far country to a place where grace is.